Good morning, all. Welcome to the Common Good Podcast, February 2nd. It's a Thursday, and on Thursdays, we spend a little time talking about um, things in the sciences, like, uh, you know, stars and moons and black holes. And we talk to astrophysicist Paul Wallace, but we also talk about the science of the economy and the impact of the economy on our um, on our lives, how we think about our collective life together, what we think about our politics, how the federal government should be involved, all this kind of stuff that we think feeds into the common good. So that's what we're going to do today is talk a little bit about the economy and this deficit business, because once again, the Republicans have decided, as they did in 2011, that they want to really make a deal about the debt ceiling that the federal government has, uh, which is like this arcane, weird limit that the United States is the only country other than Denmark that has a debt limit. Mm. We'll get into that in a minute. The only, the only one, we create our own little goofy system where we make a law about how much money we have to spend by writing bills. Then we make a law about how much money we're going to take out of the system through taxes. When those two numbers don't line up, then we make another law about how much the difference can be. And when the difference between those two numbers don't match, we have a crisis. It's a crisis literally created by our own laws. <laughs> this, this is bizarre. Manufactured crisis. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, when you're in crises on situations like this, you rarely have time to stop and think, does this whole crisis make sense? Because you're trying to solve the crisis. Right? I, I've often joked that we've had a leak in our kitchen sink before uh, when we were talking about remodeling our kitchen. And while the kitchen sink was leaking into the basement, neither Shelly nor I should be saying, maybe we should stop and think about remodeling the kitchen. Let's, let's talk about how we'd want to redesign the kitchen, right? Because there's a leak in the, in the, <laughs> in the sink. We have to stop the leak. You get into a crisis and all you do is focus on the crisis. What the Republicans are about to do, again, is to create a crisis of the credibility of the federal government. When they do that, then there's no chance to actually stop and look at the whole, at the whole system and, and how it works. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that today. And uh, hello to you, Jim, uh, out there in California. And hello, uh, Dan Dietrich. I'm Doug Padgett, by the way. In sunny, blue-skied Minneapolis area where it's uh, starting to creep up uh, to single-digit degrees here in the winter of, wow. of, of February. Yeah. yeah. I think it was 12 degrees when I took the kids to school. And mm. right next door, they're putting on a new roof. Like right now, they're ripping off the old one. They're up there on the slippery, like snowy old roof, ripping it apart and putting on a new one. Cold doesn't stop us in the Midwest. Yeah. No, just keep it, just keep it rolling. Uh, a, a few blocks from where I live, uh, the streets in Minneapolis are so um, snow and ice rutted. They they don't always plow when the snowfall is like below two inches, and you get a series of two or three inch snowfalls, and the snow starts to pile up and freeze, and it's been below freezing now for more than a month. And so the roads are, it, it is like driving through a washed out riverbed. And it's not that the roads have collapsed. It's the ice and right. snow has built up on them four, five, six inches, so much so that there's just ruts that you have to drive down the middle of. And these are two lane roads, cars parked on both sides. You can barely squeeze one car down the middle because of the snowbanks. It's just absolutely uh, bizarre. 
uh, this, uh, this way we live. And everybody just keeps going. You know, you just pull over, you just wait. Everybody just kind of gets that patient Midwestern kind of attitude about all this. And then there we have it. Uh, all right, Dan, let's talk, uh, let's talk deficits um, about all this. We've done a number of, of conversations and episodes on this. So if you want more deep dive with some of the economists that we've had on, uh, if you want to listen to us, listen to a chapter out of uh, Stephanie Kelton's book, The um, Debt Myth. The, the myth Deficit of, Myth, uh, I think. The Deficit Myth. Um, you can listen to that. We're going to play for you a bit of a TED Talk from Stephanie Kelton today. She's one of the leading economists in this area. It's helped my thinking on this a lot. People don't tend to care about government, and they really don't tend to care about government policies and really don't you know, want to deep dive into this. That's why we in the United States have a representative form of government where we ask some people to go and represent us on issues that matter, right? So <laughs> you'd like to be able to think, you folks can go take care of this and we'll get about the things that we're taking care of and everybody will divide up the labors and we'll have a functioning society. But every now and again, certain political issues uh, seem like something you have to talk about even if you don't know a lot about it, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is one of those. A few years ago, when we first started talking with Fadl Kaboob, who's an economist that has helped us in, in this thinking and on this podcast a lot, and he was explaining to me and you, Dan, I think you were here, maybe Rob too was in this yeah. sort of mind-opening moment about how the federal government works. I had never heard the, the economic term a fiat currency. Um, the word fiat seems like a weird word to me, but it's really important in at least the concept. You, know, you could use another word than fiat, which I think we should. But a fiat, <laughs> uh, I thought was an automobile uh, or small know, European something, car, something a dictator would give, would put up. Uh, not the car, but a you know a, a fiat, uh, a mm -hmm. statement. Meaning, not the car, but the 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 statement of the of the leader, the dictator. Meaning, it's unchallenged. It's the only one. It's the statement that is the statement. It's the one mm -hmm. owned by the leader and its leaders. Well, when you use the phrase fiat currency, that means that the United States government generates its own currency, the U.S. dollar, out of nothing. It's not based on anything. Th this is such an important first notion of all yeah. of this that the federal government doesn't have a limited amount of something like gold or silver or, you know, pieces right. of Right, that's pottery. an important, important thing to note, that we are not on the gold standard. We don't have to have physical bricks of gold for each dollar bill. Right. I mean, Fort Knox might still have bricks of gold, I'm guessing, <laughs> but that's not what our currency right. is based on, right? Yeah. We're, not, we're, not, we're not doing an exchange. Subpoint: there never was a barter system that ran nation's economies or as human beings evolved and developed societally, we never had a barter system. This was also a real awakening to me because I was told as so many people, well, here's how it works. We used to, people used to make their own things and live in a community. And then we started to trade with people from other towns and from other places. And as transportation grew, we found people in other countries. So you had to have a barter system. So I'd have three bars of soap and you might have six bales of hay and we would have to figure out, well, how many bars of soap are worth the hay? But then I want to get the milk from this other person over here. How are we going to do all this? Well, the idea was, Let's create a common currency that can represent mm -hmm. all of those things. Money. 
Let's create money then that represents a little bit of a whole lot of soap and a little bit of hay and a bunch of milk. And that's going to go into money. That's how I was taught to think about all of this. And so there's a limited amount of things because truthfully in society, in the world, in the cosmos, there is a limited amount of everything. Right? There's only so much energy. No more is being made. It's only being transferred from one thing to the other. There's a limited amount of workers. There's a limited amount of wood. There's a limited amount of water, of milk, of hay. There's a limited amount of everything. Mm-hmm. So you can really get into a scarcity story. So I was told that money was the mechanism by which you could transfer things from their status as hay into some dollar amount. How much is that worth? And we would attribute that to dollars. Then I could exchange dollars and carry dollars around. Basically, a really complex barter system. Come to find out, Dan, like all the things that I've, so many of the things that I've been told, (laughs) that's not how it went at all. That's a great story, a kind of mythos for people to, I don't know, understand a fairy tale of economies. But actually, currency was created by governments to tax people and to get people to behave in a certain (laughs) way, right? It was never to, to replace bartering. It was to motivate behavior in a particular direction. That's why it was created. You can listen more about that, read more about that, um, if somebody needs to uh, stop the podcast and go listen to some other uh, pieces that we have or other people do, you know, like if that's going to just hang in your mind, you're like, no, 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 that's not, that's not true. <laughs> uh, it is. And I, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I also mean that in a positive way, right? That if the government can give rewards of, of money or punishments, penalties of extracting money, then you can make behavior happen. How else does a government get people to act in certain ways to join in civic life or to join the military or to work on a particular project, well, you create an incentive program. And if you can control the means by which people acquire things through the, through money in the United States dollars, then you're set. So the United States has this fiat currency, meaning it's a standalone currency and a lot of other countries use it too. It's the, it's the basis for a lot of things. Mm-hmm. That's super important on this point. The federal United States federal government, unlike every other thing that exists in the world, in the universe, from atoms to cups of coffee, there is no limit on the amount of currency the United States federal government can issue. It's not based on how many bales of hay, cups of coffee, or bars of soap there are. It's not connected or bars of gold or silver. It's not connected to a barter system. The federal government through the treasury just determines how much money exists in the world. And that's what they produce, right? So that's the, that's another crucial piece to the understanding about how the economy and how the federal reserve and how federal spending actually works. We've said this so many times when we talk about this. That's only true of the federal government in the United yeah. States. State and local governments operate like your household budget. They have to, they cannot print their own state currency, you know. Right. <laughs> we they're tried it in the early days, but. Yeah, they're anyway. forbade from doing it even. Uh, all right. Um, okay. Uh, so it was never about bartering. It was always about 
the United uh, about a government trying to find a way to to motivate and to have a functioning economy. The United States disconnecting from the gold standard, but even well before we disconnected from the gold standard, and I think 1972, I, th I think there's a comment in here, yeah, so in 1972 or so, when the United States officially left the gold standard, but years before that stopped functioning under the gold standard, said the U.S. Reserve, the Federal Reserve, can produce whatever amount of money needs to exist. So hold that thought for a minute. That's how it works. And there's no limit on how much they can make. The, the only, I mean, there's no limit other than the one that the government sets for itself. You could make a hundred million dollars. You can make a million dollars. They could and say I think the most entire people, economy is $17 trillion and that's it. We're never putting any more money in. That's all we got. You kids decide how you're going to deal with that money yeah. and that's all we have, right? I think most that's people understand that we can just print more money. They just don't like that idea, right? Like <laughs> oh, most okay. people are well, that's like- a good point. Well, the government can just print more money, but they they don't like that idea because the money still comes from somewhere else. I think maybe that's the confusion. That like we're borrowing money from China to print our money. I don't know where the the disconnect yeah. comes, but you know, I think it's like a lot of things that went when I was coming to understand this. It was like a lot of things that I that I misunderstood. Um, my misunderstanding didn't even go all the way through. I had a series of misunderstandings that only went so far. Like I thought, well, the United States government, of course, yeah, it, it like generates money, but it has to get it from somewhere. Mm -hmm. So it probably can produce as much as it wants. Stop that thought, start a new thought. It has to get it from somewhere. And I just let those two things sit together. They were Right, because <laughs> if you continue that thought, you're like, well... How is it possible that there's more money in the world today than there was 2,000 years ago? Like, who's generating the money? Who's generating the wealth? Yeah. That, that, that was my, one of my big ahas in this was I, I kept, because I, I've regularly thought to myself as I look around and look at all the businesses that exist, small little businesses, private businesses, big corporations, people doing roofing. All, I'm like, how does all this economy work? Like, how is there enough money? Because if you take the perspective that there's a limited amount of money and there's only so much, and here's why people take that view, because folks say to them things like, the federal government doesn't have any money other than the money that you have that you pay them in taxes. Right. So you people have all the money, then the government in this theory, which is totally wrong, comes and takes the money from you, then puts it into their bank account and then resends it out to other people. That's how a lot of people mm -hmm. are told it works. I've watched multiple YouTube videos trying to find some YouTube video shorts that we could play here in this, in this conversation. They all describe it wrongly. Yeah. Either totally wrong and I mean, the, and I, this morning I, I shut my computer and I took a deep breath and I said to myself, am I losing my mind? <laughs> like, am I totally wrong about this? Because how can all of these, you know, Wall Street Journal and Vox and all these people putting out videos on how the economy works and what is the deficit and what does the Federal Reserve does? They all have this graphic and image. We should have pulled it up, but it was just, I didn't want it to reinforce people's mind, but it basically had... You know, on the left side of the screen, people and their money, and then dollar bills flying into the into the Federal Reserve, <laughs> and the Federal Reserve kicking money out to all the other places. Yeah, like a big like a big 
uh, sprayer at the end of a hose. And where's all that money coming from in this theory? The American taxpayers, where the money's coming from. Mm -hmm. Literally backward. <laughs> and yeah. Stephanie Kelton gets at this in the video clip we're going we're gonna to show. It's like, really, you can invert the bar graph of the federal deficit to get a picture of how much money is in the economy. Like this is money that hasn't been extracted from the economy. It's in people's yes. pockets because it's individuals and companies and investment firms are the ones that hold this government debt, quote unquote, and make the interest from it. So it's a, it's a benefit to the public that the federal government puts out these treasury notes and pays interest yeah. on them. Uh, okay. Uh, yes. And so, uh, it, and you even use these, we, we all use these words, debt and deficit, which are not exactly the same thing in this conversation. Sometimes we use them interchangeably and then other times we don't use them interchangeably. So we'll talk about the federal deficit and then we'll also talk about the national debt. Sometimes we mean the same things. And here's what I mean. The, the deficit is the amount, the difference between the amount of money the Federal Reserve has produced from its very existence. The whole time there's been a U.S. government producing money, how much has been created? You know, X trillion of dollars. Why is the amount of money that the federal government has taken out of the system via taxes? That difference is the national deficit. The difference between how much has gone in and how much has been taken out. That difference is the deficit. As we were joking yesterday, and it was setting up this podcast, if you had zero deficit, you would then have no, all the money that the government put in would be all the money that the government has taken out. Meaning there would be no money in the economy, right? <laughs> it would all come out. That, that's the thing. That's where the in the federal, in the U.S. dollar system, the only place money comes from is from the Federal Reserve. When the federal government takes money out via taxes or takes money out by selling you a bond, and this was hard for me to get my mind around, so hold that for a second, but when they take it out through taxes, you send a check or you do a bank transfer to the federal government through the IRS. That money then is eliminated from the system. In other words, new money went in, your money came out, now that money's gone and the new money has replaced your money. And the difference between how much new money has gone in, how much money has come out is the deficit. The other way to say it, and this is what uh, uh, Professor Kaboob said in when we first talked about this, he said, think about it as a lake, that the federal government has a, a, a uh, and you have to do a little imagination here, so it's not the greatest metaphor, but... They have an unlimited amount of water at their disposal. The U.S. economy is a lake. And what the government wants to do through the Federal Reserve is to fill the lake to the proper level. Don't want to flood the non-lake areas with too much money. They don't want to have the lake be too low where the fish aren't safe and boats can't work on this economy lake. They want to make sure there's the right amount of water in the lake. The, the deficit is 
the amount of money that the federal, the amount of water that the federal government has put in the lake. Now we have a lake full of water, right? And then every once in a while, they take some, some water out and they put new water in. Take water out taxes, put new water in with federal spending. That's the system. If they took all the water out that they had put in, so there was zero deficit on their ledger sheet, on their side, like federal government has put in 100,000 gallons. We've only taken out 10,000 gallons. We've got 90,000 gallons of water in the lake. That 90,000 gallons of water is a water deficit on the government side, but it's a water surplus. That's the word. It's a water surplus for the lake. If this is what you're saying, Stephanie Kelton's going to show this in the video. If you look at a deficit chart for the federal government, how much money have they put into the economy? And you say, well, where is that money now? That's the money in the economy. So there's a surplus. There's more money in the economy than came out. Of course, you have to have that. The current argument right now is Republicans are saying things like, there's enough money in the economy. There's enough water in the lake. In fact, maybe there's too much or maybe there's not enough, but let's call it pretty close to enough. So whatever we put in spending, we should take out in some other way. And whatever we're taking out, we should replace that. That's the amount. Leave it as it is. The, the fundamental reason this is such a bad idea is you cannot grow an economy if you have a limited amount of resources in the economy. By definition, it can't grow bigger if you only have the same amount of everything, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to have either more people or more resources, more money. But if you limit the amount of money that's going in, then you're saying we're going to limit the amount of growth that can happen in the economy. In other words, Which the lake why... can't get any bigger. The pie, this whole magical, you know, Republican, let's make the pie bigger and not just divide up the pie in different ways. We have an ever-expanding pie, ever-expanding mm -hmm. lake, ever-expanding economy. It can only expand if new money, new water is going in. The lake can get bigger if you put in more more water. You can't keep taking out as much as you're putting in or it never gets any bigger. Yeah. So how could you grow an economy? How could there be more money and more people and everyone's getting a raise and if there's not new money going in? So of course mm -hmm. there has to be new money going in and it's not coming from anywhere. It's just the, the fiscal rules by which we're operating that the Federal Reserve sets. Yeah. Did you have something on that? Because I want to shift into this different between a debt, what people are talking about when they talk about our payments on our debt, because that's a piece that just hangs in people's minds. They're like, well, in this little, you know, little lake theory here, fella, how do you deal with mm -hmm. these? What are these interest payments that the government is paying then, right? That's, right. that's another. That's yeah, another. I was just going to point out that the way we've gotten out of recessions in the past, the Great Depression, for example, is by government spending. We didn't get out of those things by austerity measures. We didn't get out of them by shrinking you know, the amount of money in the economy. And we got out of those by literally printing money and putting people to work and expanding the economy. Because that's how the economy expands. People can work harder 
if if we decided right now, no more money going in, no new money going in the economy, however much is in the economy now is all we're going to have. That's it. This is the total amount of money we're going to have. Then you know what would happen? Inflation would happen, right? Things would become more expensive because more people would come into the system wanting a stagnant amount of resources, more people, stagnant amount of resources would cause things to get more expensive. Inflation would happen. That's what the federal government should be worrying about. This is what Stephanie Kelton's going to say in this video. That's what they should worry about. Do we have enough resources, enough people, enough work, enough right. wood, enough of all the things to make this uh, economy work? The problem is not do we have enough money because the federal government can produce as much money as it wants. Mm-hmm. That that fundamental shift from the Federal Reserve produces the amount of money and there's always enough and there is no dollars in the in the economy that don't come from the government. That fundamental starting point is different than what Stephanie Kelton is going to refer to here when she talks about Margaret Thatcher's um, uh, idiom, which is the federal government only can spend your money, taxpayers. Mm-hmm. That's where the government gets their money. It is a absolute opposite of what is true. You, taxpayer, are spending the government's money that they've produced and put in the economy. You may have gotten it from me or Dan, but we got it from somebody who got it from somebody who got it from somebody who got it from the Federal Reserve. It's mm-hmm. the only place it comes from. So it's not as if we're out generating money and then giving it to the government, right? So th- this relationship between spending and taking money out is what's called the national deficit. The total amount from the history of the country until now, how much has gone in versus how much has come out. But then there's this thing called bonds. This is what really gets confusing. Well, I shouldn't say for everybody. Certainly does. Certainly did to me. <laughs> what the, I remember asking uh, Fadl Kaboob, the economist, like, so what's with these bonds? And he's like, yeah, okay, so this is the great part. And he's like, this is the answer to it all. <laughs> The other way the federal government can take money out of the economy in order to not overflow the lake in this metaphor, right? One is to tax it, meaning, Dan, Doug, we're going to take $150 from you. And we're going to take it out of the economy. You're going to send us your $150. We're going to take it out of the economy because we're going to put a new $150 in somewhere else. Now, why would the government want to do that? Well, they don't want there to be too much money in the in the lake, in the economy. And they want to spend the money on a highway bridge. They don't want to spend it on a new guitar like you and I might buy, right? So they're going to take it from us to spend it on a bridge. So they take out our money, goes away, disappears, is truly just eliminated. There's no bank account. It's not sitting anywhere. If you walked into the, you know, the IRS with a stack of dollar bills and handed them to them, they would go through them and either just recirculate them back into the economy without keeping track of them or shred them if they're not in very good shape. They're not keeping them in a bank account. It's all they do. But the government wants to spend the money on a bridge, not on a guitar, right? So they're going to take money from us. So the government's now in the business of deciding on spending procedures. That's one way they can limit the amount of money in the lake. Taxes, federal taxes, all kinds, income taxes and state taxes and inheritance taxes, all the taxes, right? The other way they can get money out of the economy is not to take it from you and I so we never have it again. Because if we 
give them our $150. Now we don't have $150 to go buy a guitar. It's gone. We don't get that money back. They got rid of it. The money's gone. But if they issued us a promise, if they said, look, give me $150 and every year we'll pay you 2% of that $150. So what is that, 20 cents, something like that? No, I've lost, I should have done $1,000. I didn't want to talk about a $1,000 guitar. So uh, uh, they're going to give you 2% on that. Break my analogy. Let's go with $1,000 so I can do that. Or $100, $100. So they're going to give you $2. So I'm going to give you uh, 2% of 100 is $2. So every year, you're going to give them $100. No, I can do this math, Dan, two and a half dollars. So every year... They're going to take my $150. They're going to sell me a bond for $150. Is anybody still listening to this? Unbelievable. <laughs> $150 I'm going to give them. They're going to now give me $2.50 every year for the next 30 years. So if it's a 30-year bond, 15-year bond is a little different, but 30-year bond, right? So for the next 30 years, they took my $150 out of the economy, but they're going to give me $2.50 every year. Then after 30 years... I'm going to get that $150 back, okay? So why would the government do that? Well, you feel better. I feel better if I know that in 30 years, I have $150 coming to me and every year I'm getting $2.50. So my money is safe, my $150, and I'm getting $2.50 a year over 30 years, which is going to turn out to be, somebody should be able to do the math on that, 60 and 50, $75. I'm going to now end up with 75 more dollars. Is that right? 30 years or 2%? I don't know. So, so why would someone do this? Well, it's called an investment, right? In 30 years, I'm not only going to have my $150, but I'm going to have $150 plus the interest, the 2% interest that they've paid me on this. So why does the government want to do that? Well, you feel better. You can then trust that you have savings and they've taken that $150 out of the economy that we didn't go give to the guitar shop so they could build the bridge. So the government then accomplishes its same goal, taking some money out so there's not too much in to move it from the guitar shop to the bridge so they can build bridges or pay for all the things, whatever the things are, right? So that's genius. What accounts that, how do we account for the $2.50, which I think I've got that number wrong again. Maybe it's 20 cents. Right, anyway, the, can anybody trust someone who can't do simple math like this? I think 2% is 20 cents. Is that right? Not $2? That'd be 10%? Of $100? What do you Yeah. Two, of $100. $2, right? <laughs> 2%. <laughs> 2 okay, 2% of 10%. Good. I was just getting I'm like, lost am in my I mind. thinking too hard? I was hard like, am this? I overstated? Yeah, that's what I was just doing. All right. Uh, so, how do you account then for that $2.50 that has to be paid to me and you every year for the $150 each that we took out, right? That amount of money, thanks, Chris, that amount of money is what we then say, that's our debt payment. So that's the debt limit. How much money will the, can the federal government spend every year of its budget paying its debt? This is why that when I said there's a difference between the deficit, the total amount of money the government has put into the economy compared to the amount out, that difference is what we call the national deficit and our yearly debt. 
We use these interchangeably, but they're not. The thing that Congress is fighting about right now is how much money can we pay on these little bond loans that the government took by taking people's money out of the economy in U.S. dollars? Does that, does that sort of make... So, so it's the $2.50 added up by all the different bonds that have been sold. That's the amount of money that the debt ceiling is fighting about. The debt ceiling is not the amount of deficit. Get that? You see yeah, the it's the, the amount that we have to pay in interest and... To take people's money out in a way other than taxes. So we came up with a beautiful schema to remove money from the economy so we could redeploy it in other places. And in order to do that, we're rewarding people, which then the federal government is also putting more money into the economy, right? So that becomes federal spending in the sense that, oh, not only are they going to give us $2.50 every year for $150, but then they're going to give $150 back. So they got to keep track of all that. Well, that it's that repayment amount that we're talking about. And that's where someone can say, in that little system of selling a bond, I buy a bond for $150, so now I have a $150 promissory note. The government promises to pay me back. I have a note that says they're going to pay me back. It's my bond. They're going to pay me back $150, and they're going to pay me 2% interest every year. It's that 2% interest every year that is the yearly deficit debt that the Congress is arguing about. They're different things. The amount of de national deficit and the federal spending to what they call to service that debt. You hear that phrase? We have to service our debt. What they're talking about is not the difference between the amount of money that went into the economy and came out in taxes. That's not the thing that they're describing. They're describing the amount of money that has to be paid to take money out through giving, taking a loan from people. So in this weird way, bonds are like the government taking a loan from the American people. When you bought up a, a savings bond, I've got a bunch of them in a drawer over here that Shelly's grandma bought. I've never bought a bond. But these little savings bond, she lent the government $100, bought a $100 bond. So they're going to pay her 2% every year, you know, until it caps out. And then I get $100 back and I could take that thing to the Federal Reserve and turn it back in and get $100 uh, uh, right now. That's all it'd be worth, right? Because she was, she was already paid the, the, uh, the, the amount of money on the debt. The, the reason this becomes real dollar amounts though, is that there's a lot of these bonds that have been sold. Lots of people buy them. China owns 3% of the total amount of this payment we have to make every year on these bonds. 3% is China, 4% is Japan or something like that. 40% is the federal government itself. Yeah, another thirty percent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like the Social Security uh, fund has bought these bonds from the Treasury, and they're getting paid. So it's just a way to sp to move the monies around. But but this fundament, just this fundamental thing, is what we have to recognize. So you, this is how people can be in an argument, and someone making the point that we're trying to make here today: deficits are not the same thing as a credit card. Okay. The other side is it's like a credit card because we have to pay people back interest. And you're like, how can both of those things be true? Well, it's because of bonds. That's why it's true. 
So what the government could do instead of issuing bonds, stop issuing bonds and stop worrying about the amount of money in the economy in the same way and just put more money in the economy and don't run up those interest payments, those 2% interest payments that are being paid on these bonds. Or it could be a little bit higher, a little bit higher. So when you hear that the credit rating of the federal government's downgraded and now you're like, from whom are they borrowing money? <laughs> it's the bonds that now need to pay people 3% instead of paying people 2%. Because then the rules of the bond, because they want to lend the money to people, this they want to borrow the money from the American taxpayer, but the American taxpayer might want to borrow the money from someone else. So this is what this deficit and national debt versus budget debt service on the debt payment thing is all about. So it gets super complicated, right? I don't know how long we've been talking about this, 40 minutes, you know, partly because I can't do basic math. This is what confuses people. So when Congress is going to potentially not raise the debt ceiling, it's not, not raising the amount of total deficit. That's not the question. It's the amount of money that we will set aside to pay the interest. Those, yeah, that interest. Bonds, that bond interest. That's what it is. Now, why do we set a rule that there's a limit on how much we can spend? A lot of people who study this stuff are like, the problem is the cap. Just get rid of it. We don't need it. Stop voting on it every year or two years. Just just get rid of it. Just because we're going because we're going to issue bonds. And if we don't want to issue bonds anymore and still spend, then we'll do like we did in COVID and just spend the money. And just mm -hmm. increase the difference between the amount of money that's gone in and the amount of money that's come out. Stop taking money out of the economy by selling people bonds. And then someone will say, well, why don't we just do that? Just put all the money in. Just who cares? Well, here, here's the problem. If you get more money in the system, then you have the resources right. that the money is used to acquire. Then you can see what happens. We have too much money and not enough resources. So what's that going to do? Cause the price of the resources to go up. The two ways you get inflation is you have more money than you have resources. On that side, you've put in too much, so now you've tipped the balance that way. Or it gets tipped this, it gets tipped the same direction by another cause, which is there's just not enough resources. So a hurricane strikes and people go out and buy all the generators they can buy within 300 miles and somebody's got a generator and they're like, hey, there's not enough generators. I can charge more for this generator now because there's not enough. So I can increase the price. COVID happens. We can't get stuff shipped. So the price of things goes up. Everything's hard to get. Labor's hard to get. All these things are hard to, to get. So it causes inflation. That's what the government worries about because it's one of the things it does with its economy. So federal spending is trying to control, have the right amount of money versus the right amount of resources. That's why the economy and the amount of money going in is always tied to unemployment. That's why when you're listening to newsy stuff about this, they're like, well, the problem with the deficit right now is that our unemployment rates are, and you're like, what are you talking about? The problem is the unemployment rates? Well, this is why, because if everyone's employed, and you keep putting money in, then you're like, well, we don't have, the, the number one resource we have in the United States economy is workers. It's not wood or hay or bars of soap or cups of coffee. It's people. Mm -hmm. A huge problem in the United States right now is there's not enough people. 
and there's not enough people in the pipeline. There's not enough children and there's not enough immigrant workers. There's a declining population in the future. So we're going to have a resource problem and that's going to cause inflation. It's going to cause employment inflation. So this argument that's happening is, should we pay the amount of money that we already took out in bonds to pay people interest rates? We call it debt, like a credit card and all this, you know, like, you know, reckless behavior stuff. It's not reckless behavior at all. It's just another way to manage how much money's coming in and going out. And what's the federal government doing with the money? Here's the kicker of it all, Dan. What do they do with the money? All they do is put more money in the economy. <laughs> when the government <laughs> pays its debts, you know, pays its interest rates to the people that they borrowed the money from, they're just putting more money in the economy, right? So we call it a deficit again on the on the on the federal government side, but what is it on the user side? Surplus. There's more. There's more money. Yeah, because you get that every month. You get this, you know, two dollar and fifty cent check from the government for your hundred and fifty dollar thing. Well, I say we uh, we get into this video from Stephanie Kelting and uh, let her educate us a little bit, and she just does a great job of succinctly talking about this. <laughs> Not that <laughs> hold the contrast uh, while you uh, while you get at this. Uh, she might have a calculator as well for some of this, um, but she does a great job. And then we'll we'll come back and. And uh, yeah, it's a beautiful, it. a beautiful little TED talk that she does here. So thanks to the good people from TED for giving this to us to share. When things break, we have an opportunity. We can pick up the pieces and put them back together the old way, or we can look for better ways to build. COVID broke everything. It put a spotlight on the many deficits in our economy in employment, education, healthcare, housing, and it showed how inequality made it all worse. Here in the U.S. and around the world, governments did some extraordinary things. They sent money to people directly to help them buy food and pay rent. They provided free COVID testing and expanded healthcare to cover more of the population. They gave money to businesses to help keep them afloat while much of the economy was temporarily shut down. They offered debt relief to millions of people who borrowed money to go to college. They did all of this and more without raising taxes or having a prolonged battle over the usual question of how to pay for it. To me, this was exciting. And I'm an economist, so I don't say that a lot. <laughs> but as someone who's been trying to change the way we think about deficits and government spending, I saw this as an opportunity to show why government budgets don't work like household budgets, why all of their red ink is really our black ink, and why our nation can afford to keep investing in the things we need, even after spending trillions to fight the pandemic. For a while, it looked like the U.S. and other countries were starting to break the mold on the old way of thinking about deficits and taxes. But now, here we are, just a handful of months after all of that bold action, 
and we're sliding back into our old habits of thought. Can we build affordable housing and fix crumbling infrastructure? Can we expand Medicare to include dental, vision, and hearing? Can we tackle our climate crisis? As Congress debates these questions, everyone is back to asking, how will you pay for it? It's the wrong question. In fact, the right questions don't involve money at all. Instead of worrying about where the financing will come from, we should be asking, are these things worth doing? And do we have the real resources, the people, the equipment, the raw materials and the technology to do them? Will they make society better off? And do we have the political will to act? I'm one of a handful of economists who contributed to the body of academic scholarship known as MMT, or Modern Monetary Theory. MMT provides an accurate description of how a fiat currency, like the US dollar or the British pound, actually works. It reminds us that we're no longer on a gold standard, so finding the money to pay for the things we need is never an issue for countries like the US or the UK. If we're going to fix what's broken in our economy, we have to fix the way we think about the limits on government spending. Let me give you an example of the kind of broken, gold standard thinking that still permeates our discourse. Back in 1983, the Prime Minister of Great Britain, Margaret Thatcher, said these words. If the state wishes to spend more, it can do so only by borrowing your savings or by taxing you more. And it is no good thinking that someone else will pay. That someone else is you. There is no such thing as public money. There is only taxpayers' money. Maybe you've heard the contemporary version of Thatcher's dictum, there is no magic money tree. It's just another way of saying that everything must be paid for and that the taxpayer is ultimately on the hook for whatever the government spends. It sounds worrying. As individuals, we know that when we borrow money to go to college, start a business or buy a home, we're personally saddled with that debt. We have to find the money to pay it back. Taking on too much personal debt can lead to all sorts of problems. Even small businesses and large corporations have to walk a fine line when it comes to debt. But the federal government is fundamentally different. Unlike the rest of us, Congress never has to check the balance in its bank account to figure out whether it can afford to spend more. As the issuer of the currency, the federal government can never run out of money. It can afford to buy whatever is available and for sale in its own currency. Now, that might mean spending on roads and bridges, a military arsenal, or hospitals and schools. Finding the votes to pass a spending bill can be hard, 
But finding the money is never a problem. They just create it. So here's how it works. Whenever Congress and the president agree to spend more, the government's bank, the Federal Reserve, works with the rest of the financial system to get that money into our accounts. Everything's done electronically, so there's no physical printing of money involved. If you got a $1,400 check from the federal government earlier this year, or if your company received money to help cover payroll and other expenses, then you received some of the newly minted digital dollars that were created to support our economy. No taxpayers were involved in that process. It was all done using nothing more than a computer keyboard. So why are we hearing so much about the need to raise taxes to pay for infrastructure and make other investments in our economy? In a word, deficits. We've all been conditioned to worry about deficits. So lawmakers are looking for ways to spend more without adding to the deficit. That's what this whole pay-for game is about. Unfortunately, deficits have gotten a bad rap. They're almost always seen in a negative light. And I would like to change that. When we hear the word deficit, we probably think of a deficiency or shortfall. Okay, a deficit always sounds ominous. So when we hear that the federal government just ran a $3 trillion budget deficit, it can sound worrying. And it can even anger people. But there's another way to think about government deficits. Just as a six becomes a nine, when we view it from a different angle, a government deficit becomes a financial surplus when we look at it from another perspective. A deficit hawk might look at this picture and see nothing but a sea of worrying red ink. That's not how I look at it. Here's what I see. I see what's happening on the other side of the government's ledger. When the government spends more than it taxes away from us, it makes a financial contribution to some other part of the economy. Their red ink is our black ink. When you look at it this way, it becomes clear that every deficit is good for someone. The question is, for whom? And what are those deficits being used to accomplish? It matters how the money is spent and who ends up with the resulting surplus. Tax cuts that deliver huge windfalls for those at the top without sparking investment and opportunity for the rest of the population don't make good use of deficits. On the other hand, spending trillions to support the economy during the pandemic put the deficit to good use. We just had the shortest recession in U.S. history. To me, that was fiscally responsible. Being responsible shouldn't mean running the government's finances like a household. Instead of trying to keep the deficit in check, 
Congress should be focused on keeping inflation in check. That's the real limit on spending. And it's the thing to watch out for if you're thinking about spending trillions on things like infrastructure, health care, and free college. Instead of asking, how will we pay for it? Congress should be asking, how will we resource it? To answer that question, think of people, factories, equipment, and raw materials like wood and iron. If we're going to build high-speed rail, fix crumbling infrastructure, and green our economy, then we'll need concrete, steel, and lumber. We'll need construction workers, architects, and engineers. We'll need companies that can fill thousands of orders for solar panels, EV charging stations, and electric school buses. If our economy has the productive capacity to quickly supply all of those things, then we can easily resource it. Or take health care or free college. Paying the bills to expand Medicare to include dental, vision and hearing is easy. The challenge is making sure we have enough dentists, optometrists and audiologists to treat everyone who needs care. And if you want to resource free college, then you need the faculty, the classrooms and the dormitories to teach and house more students. In a full employment economy, all of the resources you need are, well, fully employed. There's no spare capacity anywhere in the system. So if the government suddenly tried to make all of these investments at once, it would quickly discover that it doesn't have the people or the building materials to do the work. To get the resources it needs, it would have to compete with the private sector, bidding up wages and prices. That would be inflationary, and it would be fiscally irresponsible. We are a long way from full employment. We have the resources we need to begin repairing our broken systems. But we have to believe it's possible. We can't let words like debt and deficits hold us back. With a better understanding of public money, where it comes from and how it works, we can take aim at the many real deficits that are bearing down on us. In every crisis lies an opportunity. We can pick up the pieces and try to reassemble the fragile systems that were in place before the pandemic, or we can build anew, shaping our bountiful resources into the kind of world we want to live in, one that cares for our people and our planet. I truly hope we choose to be bold. Pretty great, isn't it? I think it's just super, super helpful. Um, and, and I'm so glad that she lays out like this not household yeah. uh, uh, thing. And that it's when about resources rather than dollars. Like we've totally. got the capacity, we've got the people, we've got the raw resources. We haven't hit that cap yet. And that, and that is not, again, this, this has been my big awakening the last year. That is not the cap that Congress is fighting about right now. 
when they're right. fighting about raising the debt ceiling, it's not about the difference between the amount of money that's gone in and come out. It's not the number six and the number nine. It's not the graph surplus versus deficit. Okay. That's an important thing. She's talking about very important things. We talk about that a lot. This particular debt ceiling is when that money comes out through, I had got up during our little thing, went over and grabbed the savings <laughs> bonds <laughs> nice. that we have uh, in, uh -huh. our, in our house, right? And these savings bonds, so I did a little calculator that I've got on my computer here, so I pull them up and like, okay, so this this one, that this $100 savings bond thing here, right, was issued in uh, 1998, in April, 1998, and it was issued, uh, it's a $100 savings bond. The original price to buy it was $50, about a $50 bond for, and then it pays some interest. So it tells me right on here, it's paying 1.6% interest. So this bond bought for $50 is now worth $111. I could go to the government, turn it back in. They'd give me $111. They took mm -hmm. $50 out. They're going to give me $111. There's a whole reason why they do this with bonds and all the rest of this stuff. That's the deficit that they're, that's the debt that they're limit that they're talking about the paying of those things, this other way of taking money out. What I think Stephanie does really well in her book, so you have to listen to the whole book and um, the deficit myth uh, that she doesn't get to here is she's sort of describing in big philosophy, we have enough money, but the me mechanism for putting money in and taking money out can be a little complicated because the uh, I should say putting money into the economy is not complicated. Federal Reserve does it through banks and then they give licenses to certain banks to be able to give their money out. That's what loans are. When they're federally backed loans then these institutions get money from the Federal Reserve that the, they make, they create out of nothing and then they distribute it to people. That's why the federal government, you know, when it was putting all that money, I was like, are we going to involve banks in this? <laughs> we have to. That's why if you got a PPP loan, you had to go to a bank and fill out because they're like, we don't just send you that money. <laughs> like you got to go, you have to go through a bank, these institutions, mm -hmm. right? And then they're going to make a little money and they have a whole banking industry. So there's lots of money being made in the money making business. Taking the money back out of the economy, that's kind of complicated. So federal taxes are, and that's what the selling of these bonds are. Mm -hmm. And it's that bond thing that this debt level is about. So that's the, that's the, the piece that I think some of us who've been arguing MMT then we jump into this debt question are not always getting right is there is actually more money the federal government has to put into the economy because they took money out of the economy. Now you might ask right. yourself, does this make sense for the federal government to borrow the lake metaphor again? You want to take money or you want to take water out of the lake so that you can put new water into the lake and then it's going to take more water to take that water out of the lake and you're worried right. about the amount of water. <laughs> it's more like you're putting, system. you're taking the money out of the lake, putting it in a reservoir for a little bit, knowing that you're <laughs> going to have to put twice as much back in. That's right. <laughs> That's right. But uh, uh, there are other countries that are actually doing this uh, in real time. Japan, they are actually like one of their economists references, Stephanie Kelton, talking about MMT, and uh, the government has kind of doubled down on this. Like, look, people raise the alarm about government debt. They liken it to the Titanic heading toward an iceberg. But Japan's overall inflation hit 2.5% in April, mm -hmm. um, well below 
our 8% here in the U.S. So they've arguably been able to control inflation better than we have while not being concerned about deficit spending by the government. Yeah. They're spending a lot of money you know, on their military, on their infrastructure, and they're not concerned, at least in the ruling party, they're not concerned about yeah. deficit spending. And right now it's working for them. I, you know, Time will tell, obviously. Maybe they'll hit the iceberg. But Yeah, look, and, and, and the, the question of should we be spending money and where does it come from are two separate questions, right? Should we spend money? Yep, the government should be spending money. Where Where's that money going to uh, come from? It always comes from the federal government. Same thing with the, with the yen, you know, Japanese yen. It comes from their, from their treasury, their version of it. They should be spending money, not getting their money from the U.S. government. What some countries are doing, and Japan is the country that holds the single most amount of, of debt that U.S. owes Japan. For yeah. the bonds that they bought, right? So they're so they're they're not just getting you know two dollars and fifty cents. They don't see like one hundred and eleven dollars on their fifty dollar bond. They're buying billions of dollars worth of this stuff because the government wants that money out of the economy. Where they're like, I don't, we don't want to tax it. Let's let's get it from Japan instead of taking it from Doug and Dan, so they can still go buy guitars. Let's get it from Japan so we can build the build the bridge. The other thing the federal government could do is stop worrying about this deficit. And this is where Stephanie gets it right. Stop worrying about that. Stop issuing these bonds as the way to manage that amount of taking water out. What she doesn't quite say, and I've asked uh, uh, Professor Kaboob about this a couple of times, like, is there really such a thing as too much money in the economy? And he's like, well, yeah, you know, you know, on principle, of course, there is. But I'm like, well, when are we going to hit that? Because we've just been pumping money into this economy over and over. And I think that's the new realization in the late 2020s and, you know, uh, moving forward here. Or, or the late two, uh, 2010s and moving into the 2020s is people are now realizing maybe there's not too much. Maybe we don't need to be so worried about how much water is in the lake. Maybe we'd be much better off spending money doing things that uh, put more money into into the hands of people. So, so this this is where the argument comes: is how should we be managing the taking the money out of the economy, or should we leave the money in the economy? And if you keep this rule in your brain up that you have to take money out if you're going to put money in, that's what you're going to hear Republicans saying. So when you hear Republicans saying we can't keep all the spending, the real question is why not? Why can't we? And they'll say, well, because it, we have to pay this interest on it. Like, no, you don't. Right, you don't have to take the money back out that you put in. Why are you doing that all the time? Right, we could cap our debt and just stop selling bonds. No more, no more bonds. None, none of that. We're done with that. But we don't want to do that because bonds really help people. It's a way that people do savings and pension plans are connected to it, and it's a flow of the economy. The best answer is remove the debt ceiling altogether because it does nothing. It doesn't. The, the amount of money that we spend, I don't know what it is, like 15% of the federal budget is spent on paying these this interest to these to these bonds, that kind of stuff. It's fine. And if we wanted to spend more, then just increase the budget, right? Just make more <laughs> money. That's why this idea of the trillion dollar coin is so interesting. The Federal Reserve can just insert a trillion dollars more into the economy and then be like, okay, there's 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 enough money. We don't have to keep issuing bonds. When people say things like that, put more money in than we don't have to issue bond, that's what they're getting at, right? Is 
Let's just put money in so we don't have to be worrying about taking money out. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the real thing about taxes, and this is where it all comes down to, it's all about behavior modification. The reason the government wants there to be taxes, the reason they want there even to be debt ceilings, is because it's the mechanism by which the government can say, don't go buy a guitar with that money. We want to build a bridge. Don't go buy a yacht. We want to put money into school lunches. And one of the answers is just put all the money into school lunches and let people go buy yachts. And there are people are really worried that that's going to just flood the lake and we're going to get, you know, towns are going to get flooded. There's too much money. It's ruined, ruins everything, causes inflation. Or maybe it doesn't. But the, the thing that economists don't know, and this is why they're always worried and they're always anxiety ridden is because they're not sure how this all is going to work. So then they do this other funny thing like, well, let's raise interest rates. This is what uh, Professor Kaboob is always pushing. He's like, then the Federal Reserve like says, we're going to raise the amount of interest that we charge banks so that banks can raise the interest that they charge to people to borrow from them. So then that's going to slow down people's spending. So Doug and Dan can't go buy a guitar (laughs) because guitars are getting too expensive because they have too much money from those PPP loans or too much money from whatever. They can't go buy a guitar. So we're going to slow all this stuff down to bring down inflation. We're like, what? (laughs) <laughs> it's just it's just bonkers like the the uh raising interest rates influences businesses and the businesses say we're not going to hire people because it's too hard for us to get capital or to get money so then someone doesn't have a job and then they do what they go on unemployment and the government spends more money on their unemployment it, it so the fussing around that goes on uh, with the economy is part of what makes everybody just feel like they're losing their minds and they don't know how all this stuff, all this stuff works. But this little argument we're going to have for the next three months is simply about do we pay for the amount of interest that we've already accrued by selling bonds through the Federal Reserve to U.S. citizens and parts of the federal government and, and 30% to other, other countries? Do we pay for that or not? And then going forward, do we keep doing it this way or not? So there's really two things going on. And I think to understand the perspective that Stephanie Kelton brings through MMT about how the Federal Reserve works and how the economy works, where money comes from, is crucial to understanding everything else. People going on, going on and going on saying, oh, it's like a credit card. Well, it is only in the like loosest sense, if you're talking about the interest that we have to pay on borrowing money from people to keep down the amount of money in the economy. But there's a totally different way. So the answer to a lot of people is just get out of the credit card business. Stop lending, stop borrowing money from the American people. Stop mm-hmm. taking loans from the American people or from the other parts of the government or from other countries altogether. Um, that That's probably not the best way forward though. The best way forward is to not worry about the amount of deficit or to raise the amount of the debt ceiling. Two different things that sound so much alike because they're interchangeable terms. And we just, because I've, I've felt myself sometimes when I hear him talk about the debt ceiling, I'm like thinking deficit, right? And I want to say like the, def, the debt ceiling is just the amount of money difference between the amount of money in the economy and the amount's been taken out. No, that's the deficit. The debt ceiling is the amount of money that we pay in interest to take mm-hmm. money out of the economy in some way other than taxes. So it's this important clarification. Now, people in the in the chat are are asking a really good question. Um, like, do we even need all this stuff? And 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 how can we even vote for the right people when we barely can understand how this goes? 
And this is the kind of misunderstanding that's not complicated. It's not like, I feel like when we're talking to Paul Wallace about astrophysics and I'm like, it's just really complicated what you're describing. What makes this confusing is people keep telling us that, you know, it works like this. And you're mm -hmm. like, no, it actually works like that, not like this. And you keep hearing it's this, this, and you're like, no, but it's that, that. And that's what gets confusing is that you can't figure out how it works. And so right. you just throw your hands up and say like, oh my gosh, I have, I have no idea. You know, mm -hmm. and, then, and then it gets personal. And then we say things like Republicans only want this and Democrats only want that. You're big spenders and you're mean and you're, you, you want to cut and you just want to give. And that doesn't even describe what's, what's actually the fight is about. Like that, that's not the fight. Those things might be true. Republicans might want to take things from people and Democrats might want to give things to people. Yes. But that's not what this fight is about. Mm -hmm. This fight is about what do we do about the amount of interest that we're paying on these, on these bonds that are being sold. Yeah. Yeah. It gets complicated because people on both sides, Democrats and Republicans, talk about it in a way. I think they're trying to be helpful in finding this metaphor of like, it's like a household budget, but it's not. <laughs> you know, like, it's not. Like people, you can imagine a credit card payment, right? We got to pay the credit card payment. Like, yeah, but that's not what. What this but is. the credit it is right when the credit card payment is the amount of money we're paying on the interest to the to the loans right to the that, and then that in that little case, portion is is it in but that what case we though be saying, you do everything you can to make that payment because yes. <laughs> like you don't hold yeah. you don't hold the government hostage so you default on that payment and yeah and, if and look, you have the, a personal credit card and you're late on a payment that hurts your credit that hurts. Like the, you get the, penalized. That's right. And the, the better metaphor for this is it's not like a credit card payment. It's like a loan you took from your wife. You're paying <laughs> back your wife. The money's staying in your same economy. You've just, like, it's like you decided, hey, we're going to have a budget with envelopes where we put our money in envelopes and we're going to have date night money, you know, that, that thing people do. And like, I'm going to have $50 in my date night envelope. And we went out on a date and I didn't bring my date night envelope, right? Oh, geez, I don't have that $50. Can I borrow $30 from your grocery budget, you know, in our case, and then I'll use that. And then when I get home, I'll give you back the $30. Yeah. That's what's going on with the federal government. It's because, not at all like a credit card because right. the people, the federal government is paying back is the U.S. taxpayer. And sometimes and the other parts itself. of the federal government. <laughs> like I've got this, got this chart on the screen here that breaks down the uh, amount of debt and where it, where it's, who holds it. Yes. Six trillion of it, of the thirty odd trillion, is held by the Federal Reserve System itself. It's like, mm -hmm. yeah, but you can understand that. Like somebody will say, like I'm going to take money from my checking account and put it in my savings account, and then other times I have to take money from my savings account and put it into my checking account because I have to cover some bills and I'm going to pay that back later. You don't call that a credit card debt when right. you're moving money between accounts. That's how we need to talk about this when we talk about this deficit thing. And then you're like, but yeah, but what about China and what about Brazil and what about Japan? You're like, yeah, and okay. And sometimes I had to borrow money from my neighbor. And now I've got to pay my neighbor back because I forgot to bring my envelope with my $50 in it for date night. We went on a double date and he covered my thing. So now I'm going to pay him back. But as it turns out, in what currency am I paying him back? The very currency that I own. 
The federal government's paying them back. They're not paying the Japanese back in yen. They're paying them back in U.S. dollars. And that money then is part of the U.S. dollar system. Mm -hmm. So all of this, that's the thing that makes it not like a credit card. The interest rate being paid is, yes, you're paying some interest. So if my neighbor said, hey, hey I'll, I'll lend you the 30 bucks uh, for dinner, but you got to pay me, uh, you know, th 31.50 when we get home. I'm like, all right, you, uh, you know, it's a convenience fee. So I do it. You know, that's, that's just how John, my neighbor is. So then I'm now going to own 31.50 and I decide, is it worth it? Yep, it's worth it. So I, I make the payment. So we've decided, hey, it's worth it. It's worth it to get the money from Dan and Doug to, through these bonds or these bonds like my grandma bought. And, and it's good to get the money from China and whatever. It doesn't make any difference. We'll just pay them a little extra later because we want the money out of the economy. Because we're just managing the flow because it's all our money. That's what the Federal Reserve, the federal budget is constantly saying. It's not going to anyone else. It's all Federal Reserve money. Money that they pay out, money that they take in. Doesn't make any difference. So that's the thing that we have to get our heads around is it's not like a credit card or it's not even like the state government or the county government that doesn't have this right. deal. They have a different deal going on where they literally say, nope, we have the Federal Reserve's money in our bank account. We have to give it back to the Federal Reserve through the IRS or through a payment. So we're going to send it back. And now it's mm -hmm. gone. We don't have it anymore. It's theirs and we gave it back to them. We're borrowing the money. <laughs> we're just always using the money that belongs to them. Mm -hmm. So we, we can make it a more clear metaphor and illustration to make this more clear by other ways that we borrow. But this idea that it's like paying MasterCard or that somehow the federal government can't function if China doesn't bail us out, that stuff, right? totally a lie. China is only it, buying bonds and treasury notes because it's a safe investment because we always pay the interest. <laughs> in U.S. dollars. If we yeah. were going to you know, if we we're borrowing money in the yen, okay, then that would be a thing. Now we're really borrowing money. We're not borrowing our own. The Federal Reserve is not borrowing its own money. It's just choosing its cash flow and then choosing to pay more money into the economy. And it's part of how they keep the water flowing in the, in the, in the lake on this mm -hmm. overly beaten lake metaphor. So it's a big pump. That's a better way to think about it. But they're running the pump. They're, they're the water source and the pump. <laughs> We're not the, the water source and giving money to the government so they can go spend it somewhere else. It's yeah. truly the other way around. They're the, they're the source. We're the spenders. Yeah. Well, thanks to everyone in the chat today. Peggy says, Dan, sorry to go off topic. I did watch episode three. I think she's talking about The Last of Us. A beautiful yeah. story. <laughs> and I also cried at the end. So, <laughs> so if you're not uh, watching The Last of Us, uh, it, it's worth it. But thanks I think for Aaron everyone else because for the first time it showed up on our like uh, this might be a show you want to watch. Oh really? Uh, after we got done watching the show called uh, Fleischman <laughs> is in trouble, uh, and then it's like I said, hey, there's that. Now, I don't think the internet is listening to us. I think I just now had eyes to see that that show is like in the yeah. list, uh, so I noticed it because we had talked about it, which is the way uh, awakenings happen. It's not that there's more information about it; it's just now understand it. Which we hope this brought to all of you. We hope this yeah. is something that you've now say, okay, I see what they're talking about. I see what they're doing. And uh, we should stop using credit cards as the metaphor. And I think the family system, let's 
lend money and borrow money from and lend money to one another is a better metaphor to think about it. It's all going to end up in in the same account as far as the federal government's concerned. Yeah. Well, we'll be back uh, next week, at least on Tuesday. And then we'll we'll see what we're doing for Wednesday yeah, and Thursday. Yeah, I've got some things going on. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.